Hi, everyone. This is Alicia Halliday, and welcome to this week's ASF Weekly Science Podcast. You might often hear about the things that increase the risk or probability of having a child with autism or being autistic. You've heard about all the genes that work together, how they interact, what they are, and what role they play. You've also heard about environmental factors, things like prenatal immune activation and things like air pollution or medications taken during pregnancy. What you haven't normally heard about is how the two work together, but I promise you that's for a future podcast. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know my opinion on that. Scientists should be studying them together rather than in isolation. Something else you don't hear about is protective or resilience factors, or what swings the pendulum of probability over the other way. Scientists know that autism originates prenatally, so this is the best time to study what is known as protective factors. Not that resilience isn't a lifetime compendium of experience, but early infancy is a good place to start when it comes to things that might confer protection. Clinicians studying the infant siblings of children with autism do have the unique opportunity to look at early factors that change or determine the trajectory of development in children that go on to develop autism and those that don't. They have the opportunity to isolate what increases the probability and what reduces the probability. So what does? Well, scientists know that things like being female as well as taking your prenatal vitamins do reduce the probability of having an autism diagnosis. In females, scientists are now closer to be sure that this is due to a protective effect. That means girls have a higher what is known as etiological load. In other words, they have a different threshold than boys to show enough symptoms to receive an autism diagnosis. Females do have more genetic mutations than boys, and they show exaggerated brainwave patterns, and even different patterns of exposure based on different infant biomarkers. So taken together, scientists do agree there's a protective effect in being female and having an autism diagnosis. In a recent study, this idea was again confirmed by researchers from Yale and the University of Virginia by using stringent matching criteria on autism severity, sex, and head movement during an MRI. These researchers found that females, not males, showed differences in brain structure compared to non-autistic females. This suggests comparable autism symptoms require more structural differences to manifest itself in females. But being female doesn't seem to be the only protective factor, although the one that scientists know the most about, and think about it, if it could be bottled, could it help ameliorate symptoms, including medical comorbidities, in both males and females? The effect of prenatal vitamins, taken prior to pregnancy even, seems to be stronger in those with autism and intellectual disability, which is interesting. But are there any other factors that are targets of intervention or could be perhaps early in infancy that serves as protective factors or a way to prevent some of the deleterious symptoms of autism from being expressed? Research from the US and the UK is looking at that. I didn't cover this in a previous podcast, but there was a very interesting paper from Washington University School of Medicine in Emory, specifically the Marcus Autism Center, that showed the differences in outcomes in community-based samples versus baby sibling-based samples. Symptoms tend to be somewhat lessened in these baby siblings. It could be because those infants are watched closely, a surveillance effect. But even if they were watched closely, it also means that they get into early intervention faster. 
That doesn't lead to an autism, no autism decision. It does lead to a different, less severe trajectory. So something's going on to alter the trajectory of these closely monitored infant siblings. It could also be that the socioeconomic and racial ethnic makeup of infant siblings versus the community-based samples is different, and that's to be considered. But this early detection may also be a protective factor. In the UK this week, a study from researchers who compare infant siblings who have this 15 times greater chance of having a diagnosis were done to those who have no family history. This ba their baby sib study in the UK is part of the larger BSRC consortium and it's called BASIS. In their recent study, they tried to tease apart the relationship between early regulatory behaviors, which is how infants are able to adapt and change and react to things in their environment, with later executive function and autism, ADHD and callous emotional traits. Now, not everyone with autism has callous emotional traits, but some do. And is it possible to identify things early on that may be protective for early autism or ADHD traits or callous unemotional traits alone or together? It's common knowledge that executive function is poor in people with autism. The definition of executive function is a set of skills including planning, online monitoring, inhibition, and working memory, which support the ability to set and achieve goals. Early regulatory traits, I didn't know if you know this or not, are a precursor to executive function. So what is the role of executive function in all this? Does early regulatory function, like the ability to be soothed, cuddled, and orient to certain stimuli, associate with later autism and ADHD, as well as callous unemotional traits, more or less in one group? Using the design where they tracked each infant through development to a point where ADHD, autism, or callous unemotional traits could be detected, in this case, seven years of age, they looked at early regulatory functions and how it mapped on to later autism or ADHD traits. This was a decade in the making, this study. And by using a statistical analysis approach, which pulled out these different factors in kids who ended up with a diagnosis of autism and those that did not, and those that did or did not show traits of ADHD and callous unemotional traits, the authors found an association with low regulation ability at 14-month-olds to later ADHD and autism traits at seven years old. They were able to tie in strong regulation abilities, which is linked to good executive function, to be protective against ADHD and ASD traits. Maybe not the diagnosis itself, but the traits of autism and ADHD. In fact, early markers for ADHD and ADHD inattention were only found in children with low regulatory function. This means that having strong regulation in infancy could allow infants to compensate for neural or behavioral atypicalities and then show good executive function. This was not the case for callous unemotional traits, however. These kids sometimes also showed high levels of regulatory function and still ended up with callous unemotional traits. The study didn't look directly at executive function. It looked at regulatory function because these regulatory behaviors are so closely tied in with later executive function. So should early regulatory traits or executive function be the target of interventions in the future? 
I'm sure many people with autism agree that they have poor executive function and would love the help strengthening it. But what about earlier on in life? What about trying to target something before an autism diagnosis even emerges? What I want you to take away from this podcast is when you hear the word protective, it's not about protecting against autism. In fact, it can be about protecting against aspects within autism that are particularly debilitating without changing the autism diagnosis. Just keep in mind the next time you hear someone using the word protection or prevention that this doesn't have to be a contentious word. Thanks for listening and I'll talk to you next week.